Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 today. And we've been in Paul's final discourse to uh, the Ephesians, and we've been looking at verses 10 through 20, and we're taking about six weeks to do so in a series called Armor Up. And uh, the first week we looked at our position and our leader. Last week we looked at our very real, very powerful, but very defeated enemy. And now today and next week, we're going to venture into the weapons of the believer's warfare. So today's part one. Next week will be part two. But why don't you get your eyes on a copy of God's word, Ephesians chapter six. I want to read verses 10 all the way through 17 today. And this will be kind of the text that we'll focus in on over the next couple weeks. And then we'll dive in together after we pray. Let's hear the word of the Lord together as this is a moment of worship in itself. Now hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come uh, on this Sunday morning desperately in need of your Word, desperately in need of your Spirit. And so, God, as we've sung, we thank you for the words that have directed our hearts, not on the temporal things, but on the things of heaven today. We thank you for the words of the songs that have pointed us to the truth that your mercy is more than our sinfulness that we bring to the table. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the salvation that you have worked on our behalf as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who adopts us and redeems us and seals us for glory. Lord, we're just very aware, I'm very aware of a cosmic battle that is raging all around us in our world, in our personal lives, even in our church. And Lord, we desperately need you here today. We thank you that you have not left us on our own, but you've given us your word. You've given us applicational tools to apply to our lives. Lord, would you help us as believers who have been unified in the body of Christ to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? And would you receive the glory as your spirit illuminates your words to us today from Ephesians chapter 6. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I think as a whole, um, our culture finds weaponry and suits of armor rather fascinating. Uh, I don't know if you would say that about yourself. It is 4th of July weekend. It is Independence weekend, right? And so I've already been invited to a lot of fireworks shows, and I've lived in Granger long enough to know that y'all are pyromaniacs. Uh, the people around here, it's like uh, a war's going on when 4th of July shows up, and that's what America does, right? We get big booms out, and maybe you're not so much into that, and I think my foreign brothers and sisters would say, yeah, America's rather obsessed with some of those things, uh, but maybe you've gotten uh, into uh, the Marvel movies, or maybe you've gotten into the Batman films. If you've gotten into Hollywood, you could probably appreciate some of the creativity that's surrounding the suits of armor that often our superheroes wear, and the weaponry that they take into these uh, great battles that Hollywood comes up with. And I was thinking this week, you know, a, a, a superhero without a, a, a uniform is really just some ordinary fellow. Like it's like the, it's, it's the, the suit that transforms the ordinary man into the crime fighting machine that he or she is. So when Bruce Wayne puts on the bat armor, he becomes a crime fighting machine, right? And when Tony Stark 
puts on the iron suit, he becomes Iron Man. And he's indestructible, it would seem, as he goes and fights for good. And Peter Parker puts on the Spidey suit, and all of a sudden he's this otherworldly, building-swinging superstar who's fighting on our behalf. And then you get outside of Hollywood, and you kind of start to look at history, you start to look at the real world, and we see that armor and weapons have always been a necessary habit for battle. Some of you are like big time into this or you've, you've studied history in this uh, a lot. But medieval knights dressed in full facial helmets, hiding behind shields as they went jousting with their horses. Uh, gladiators wore just enough for protecting their vitals while still having agility to kill the beasts that were coming after them in the Colosseum. Uh, the Huns wore animal hides on horseback, and they were masters with the recurved bow. Then you get to World War I, and they were given uh, suits of khaki. So I don't know how they got khaki, but I would have felt like I was getting the shaft a little bit if I was handed a suit of khaki. But they also wore like a bucket metal hat and took muskets into war. And then today our military is often marked by distinct forms of camouflage, bulletproof vests, M16, grenades, tanks, all kinds of technology that goes into it. But as we approach, you know, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, we see that historically armor and weaponry was very... Um, prevalent in Paul's day and age. And I find Paul's creativity just massively intriguing as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 because he would have been looking at this very armor that he's describing because he would have been chained to a guard wearing exactly what he describes in Ephesians 6. Remember that Paul was imprisoned in Rome while he was writing the book of Ephesians or, or the letter to the Ephesus church. And so he was allowed to have guests on house arrest. He was allowed to teach the gospel. He was allowed to pray. He was allowed to write, which was remarkable. But at all times, he was chained to a Roman guard who would have been wearing and dressed in the armor that he is describing to the church in Ephesus. So that's incredibly creative. Uh, it's culturally impactful and applicational. And it's really just great preaching. And that's what Paul is showing us. He took the, the norms of the day and he applied them to what God was saying through the spirit. And the people of Ephesus would have read this and they would have been like, oh yeah, I know exactly what Paul is talking about. So there's creativity a part of it, but more than just Paul's creativity, he was also a student of the Old Testament. And Paul was very familiar with what God had already said through some of his prophets and his descriptions of the believer's weapons for warfare would have related to the Roman armor of the day, but it was also consistent with what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about a Messiah who would come to fight for his people. So as we approach the weapons of the believer's warfare, I want you to see the importance of what you've been clothed in because of Jesus and what you must actively take up every single day. So the big idea for this week and for next week. So if you're taking notes, I would just start a couple pages. And we'll use this to drill down on over the next couple weeks. Here it is. Our union with Christ has dressed us in the armor of God. But we must actively take it up every day to be who we are in Christ. Our union with Christ has already dressed us in the armor of God but we must actively take it up every day in order to be who we are in Christ. So let me just give it to you real quick. Our union with Christ. When you were saved, you were joined to Christ. John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who is attached to me will bear much fruit. And so that's our union with Christ. If you are in Christ, you have been joined to Christ. Nothing can sever that. And yet the, the bad fruit, the bad branches definitely need severed. So our union in Christ has already given you all the blessings in heaven. Everything that heaven has to offer is already yours if you're the believer, including the armor of God. But you have to actively wake up every day and put this armor on for the cosmic war that surrounds us because of the enemy that seeks to kill and destroy. So I said on week one, I said, you might have thought, is this imputed to me? Do I already have the armor or do I have to put it on every day? And I said, the answer to that is yes. 
You got to do it both. Both are absolutely important. And so there's really two interpretations that get emphasized when we start to approach the weapons of our warfare, okay? Two interpretations. I'm going to give you a third one because I think the two that we naturally gravitate toward are incomplete without the other, okay? So here's the first one. The armor is the Christian's personal piety and virtue. So this is usually probably the first thing that you think of when you read the armor of God. You pull it off the page. You want to apply it directly to your life as a believer. And so theologians have said that the armor is the Christian's personal piety and virtue. So what I mean is, as a believer, you live a life of reverence to God and live out high moral standards by taking up the individual pieces of the armor every day. So it's really what it means to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. If I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of my calling, then I need to put on the belt of truth. And I need to put my hand up against falsehood and I need to allow the personal piety of speaking the truth to guide me through this life as a believer. Or if I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of my calling, then I need to put on the breastplate of righteousness and I need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil and I need to do what is right and do what is holy and allow this to make me a virtuous person for the Lord. And, and, and there's a lot of merit to this interpretation And this is where we draw our practical application from as believers, but I think it's incomplete. And why do I say that? Because a scheme of the devil and something that you and I are prone to is falling into our own works-based abilities to live the Christian life. Um, it, it, It has merit to just pull our personal piety and virtue out of the armor of God, but remember, you are saved by grace which is unmerited favor from God. If you forget this, you will seek to be strong in yourself and you could easily fall into the trap of the devil of becoming an independent person rather than someone who is dependent on the Lord. And this is Independence Day weekend and so we celebrate independence as America, but the nation that will Um, glorify God is the nation that will be dependent on God, not independent in themselves. That's being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in ourselves, amen? And so the Christian must continually live in the grace that only comes through Christ. If you do what's right, it's for God's glory and not your own. If you overcome temptation, it's because God is faithful and he has provided a way of escape. If you get victory over sin, it's only because of Jesus's defeat of sin that you have access to him. And this is the only way to be strong in the Lord by ascribing worth to Christ and his grace for every effort, every day, for every victory and every winning moment of personal piety and virtue. Don't get caught up in what you bring to the table. I was reminded of it even this morning as we were singing. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. It's only because of his blood. If I truly look at my life, I see how far I fall short of the glory of God. So I don't deserve to be standing in the presence of God. I don't deserve to be joined to a body like this. It's only because of the blood. Don't get working so hard that you get your eyes off of Jesus and onto your works because then you will boast in yourself. Remember, you are by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works or you would boast about it and Satan wants you to boast about how good a person you think you actually are as you start to judge others' Christianity based on what you have done and what you bring to the table, and that could not be more self-righteous, and that could not separate us more from the goodness of God. But the second interpretation, so that's our personal piety and holiness and virtue, the second interpretation that theologians go to, and this is a little deeper as you dig in, the armor is Christ's armor, Now, I told you week one that this is God's armor. God gives it, Christ wore it, and if you are in Christ, it has been imputed to you as a believer. 
So this interpretation emphasizes that the Old Testament prophesied about a Messiah who would come to conquer. Just let me give you a couple places in Isaiah. Isaiah 11 verse 5 is describing the judgment that is coming in the form of an Assyrian horde due to the rampant evil in the land. And Isaiah reveals that a Davidic Messiah is coming who will establish a righteous kingdom on the earth. This is what Isaiah 11.5 says. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And so the prophet Isaiah Years before Jesus ever came was prophesying of a king, of a Messiah, of a warrior who would come to conquer on behalf of God's people. Isaiah 59 is another place Paul would have been drawing from. And it describes a culture where there was no justice and where evil was running rampant in the land. And Isaiah 59, 16 through 17 says this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In both of these passages, Isaiah is depicting a Messiah who would be clothed in armor, coming to bring salvation and destroy the wicked. Paul is clearly echoing Isaiah's messianic prophecy as we approach the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. So the, the deeper interpretation than just your Christian piety and your Christian living as you look at the armor through the whole lens of scripture could be this. If the armor is the armor of the Messiah, then Christians put on the armor by putting on Jesus Christ. And that's really what we're doing as believers every day. We're not putting on our own efforts. We're not putting on our own battle attire. We are putting on the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote this in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So have you, have you struggled with the flesh? Have you struggled in your life with gratifying the desires of the flesh? Then it's an opportunity for you to put on Christ over the area where you are feeling the temptation, feeling the schemes of the devil. Christ is our victory and Christ is our defense. Christ is the captain of our soul who has underwritten our victory with him. And he, he alone can be our truth, our faith, our righteousness, and our peace. And if he has worn it, then we must take it up. And if he has given it, then we must put it on And if he is the only position for victory, then we must be in him, like the book of Ephesians continues to say. Now now combining both of those interpretations, I think they're both important, both are incomplete. Here's the third interpretation. Christ's armor should become your personal piety and virtue in him. Christ's armor that he wore, that's already been imputed to you, has to become your personal piety and virtue in him every single day. Both interpretations are important, and it really goes with what I said in week one, that the armor of God is a metaphor for everything that we've already learned in the book of Ephesians. The weapons, just a metaphor to describe your wealth in Christ. If you put on the armor of God, you're basically acknowledging every day that you are chosen, adopted, blameless, sealed, forgiven, redeemed, and guaranteed an inheritance in the heavenly places. The armor testifies of your wealth in Christ, but the truth that the armor is your personal piety and virtue should help you walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Don't claim to have the wealth that is in Christ and then be losing the battle. And a lot of us want to claim the benefits, but we're losing the battle with sin because we're failing to armor up every single day. So you have what you already need, but you need what you already have. You have what you already need, but you need what you already have in the already but not yet, in the awaiting to become who you are in Christ. William Gurnall, the man I told you about last week who wrote the three volumes of the Christian in complete armor, he says this, we must not confide in the armor of God, but in the God of this armor. 
because all our weapons are only mighty through God. In heaven we shall appear, not in armor, but in robes of glory. But here these are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. So we're taking heart in the God of the armor who has clothed you for battle and for righteousness and for holiness and for virtuous living. But we don't take heart in the victory. We take in heart in the God of the victory and we put these things on every single day so that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Our union with Christ has dressed us in the armor of God, but we must actively take it up every day if we are going to be who we are in Christ. Now, as you go to the text, I want you to notice a common command concerning the armor of God as we start in verse 13. Look for a common word that just sort of jumps out at you in what I'm about to read in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, in verse 14 says, stand there for. What word jumps out to you? The word stand, right? Three times in that one verse and venturing into verse 24, the Greek word for that is stecho. And it is to stand firm. It is to plant your feet. It is a resolve to stay planted against an enemy that is coming. What, what stand does not mean, it is not a passive inaction for the believer. It's not a passive inactivity on the part of the believer. It's not a timid response to the battle. Like, oh, the battle is raging and I'm just gonna stand here because I don't know what to do. Stecco is a resolve to be immovable in the freedom and the fellowship that only comes through the spirit. It's standing that is grounded on God and not in the world. And so it, it, we can take God's command from Exodus whenever God's greatest command in all of the Bible is fear not. And, and we can fear not and stand firm because salvation is of the Lord and the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The same commands that God gave to Moses in Exodus or that Moses gave to his people, we can stand firm knowing that even if the enemy is raging against us, it's not gonna be easy. We're gonna feel pressure. And yeah, the course of this world is running in the wrong direction, but we can stand resolved in what Christ has already done for us if we are strong in the Lord. Have you ever been in like a, a circular swimming pool and made a whirlpool and you kind of like go around? I used to do that growing up all the time. We'd get it going as fast as we could. And then you know what you would do? You turn and try to go the other direction. That's what it's like to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's what it's like to be a Christian. The world is, is going one direction. The course of this world is like a strong river going downstream. And when Christ changes your position from dead in your trespasses and sins, and he makes you alive in Christ, guess what? For the rest of your life, until you get to heaven, you are going against the flow. And sometimes you're gonna have to stick your feet in the ground and stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And it might feel like you're fallen. It might feel like you're not, advancing a whole lot. It might feel a lot more like enduring than fighting, but this is what it looks like for the believer to stand in what Christ has already done. We are waiting on the Lord who is mighty for battle and who is our defense. It's an unwavering, bold resolve to stand against the enemy, endure the attacks of the enemy, and come out the other side victorious in the strength of the Lord. That's being strong in the Lord. And the first piece of armor that we're introduced to going into verse 14 is the belt of truth. So point number one that I'll give to you as we start to venture into these six pieces of armor, we'll look at three of them with the remaining time that we have today. The belt of truth readies you against the father of lies. The belt of truth readies you against the father of lies. It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, historically, it's been called the girdle of truth, which is 
not as common for us today, um, but it would have been it would have been terminology that they would have been familiar with, and it's really terminology that you see all through Scripture. The, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, verse 14 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded up your loins with truth. The King James Version says, uh, Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Everybody say, get girded. That's your hashtag for the week, all right? We should have named the series, Get Girded. But the idea here was consistent with what Paul would have saw the Roman soldiers wearing as he wrote. So the Roman soldiers, they wore a long tunic. That was kind of their attire under their, their uniform. And it was like a big square piece of, of cloth and you had armholes and you had a head hole and it went down past your knees, maybe down to your ankles. And much of the combat in the Roman era was hand-to-hand -hand combat. You went in with a sword, you went in with a spear, with a shield, and you were fighting to the death. And so someone with a tunic hanging around their ankles, not very ready for battle. Uh, that's not very, that's not going to make you very agile. That's not going to make you able to kick and punch and get out of the way of the enemy. So what they would do is they would gather up all the loose pieces of the tunic and they would tuck them in. They would gird up their loins. They would ready themselves for battle by tucking in the loose tunic into this big, thick leather metal belt. And Satan loves to hit below the belt and so they were readying themselves for the battle as they were going into the war. So the belt that held the soldier's tunic in place for battle and pulled together their armor for ready and able fighting, it was made of leather. But Paul describes the belt that readies the believer for battle and holds everything securely together as truth. Paul's saying, gird up your loins, Christian, with truth. Put on the belt of truth that it might be your center, that it might hold everything together. Let truth ready you for battle and make you a threat for combat, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You're fighting against the father of lies himself, but with the truth as your center, he stands no chance. Now, now, the word truth, it's, it's aletheia. It refers to a couple things. It refers to the general content that is true, content that is from God. So we know that God gives a lot of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. We know that the word of God is the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them according to your truth. Your word is truth. We know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and it authenticates the truth of God and it illuminates the truth of God in our hearts and in our lives. And, and the unity of the body, the body of believers, the bride of Christ is truth in a world of lies. All these things authenticate the content of truth that God supplies. And so uh, the Christian's worldview, being rooted in God's reality versus cre and creation, all of this is vital for the believer fighting the battle. So it's why as a church, we encourage you regularly to deepen your doctrine in classes. And many of you have done core classes. We're getting ready to ramp those up in the fall and even creating maybe a deeper layer for some of you who want to go even deeper in your theological understanding. It's why we encourage you to get in studies where we learn to study our Bibles. Uh, we're working on men's studies, women's studies, student studies, really excited about it for the fall. But man, I wanna encourage men and women to get in other settings where the authority of God's word is being taught because we don't just gather together and speculate on what we think the Bible says. We need to open the Bible and, and read exactly what it actually is saying. What did the author intend? What is the original meaning? What does this verse's context have to do with my life? And that is where our discipleship begins to bloom and grow. And so we grow in our study, but then we also encourage you to get in groups for accountability and for discussing God's word and for applying God's word but understanding God's truth is vital to the believer not being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's what Paul told us to watch out for in Ephesians 4. But truth, the belt of truth, is even more than just truthful content. Paul's word for truth here is also an attitude of truthfulness. It's a disposition 
listen, of real, authentic, hypocrisy-crushing humility that aims to tell the truth, live the truth, and depict the truth at all times. Remember Ephesians 4.25, put away falsehood and speak the truth to one another. So the believer who wakes up with the attitude of how can I please the Lord today? How can I live in the truth today? How can I guard the truth at all costs today? How can I point others to the truth today? How can I forsake hypocrisy and falsehood today? This is a believer who has put on the belt of truth and is ready for battle. And many of us claim to follow Christ while our tunics of temporal cares, earthly concerns, worldly image, and self-preservation is flapping in the wind and we're tripping over it left and right. A lot of us have our eyes on the temporal. A lot of us have our eyes on how we look to other people. Social media is a great example for it. We can depict ourselves however we want. We can show others that we're doing just fine in this life and yet we are, are, are in turmoil inside. And so we have to be careful. We have to be on guard to protect ourselves against the schemes of the devil to not puff ourselves up, but to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and, and a believer with an attitude of truth is a believer who has girded themselves up so that they can go into the battle and fight the foe with the armor of Christ. So you might be in all the right settings, but until your attitude is to crush hypocrisy and pride, your belt is loose and you've given the devil an opportunity. In 2 Timothy 2.4 says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So don't get entangled in the things of this world. Don't get entangled with your own self-preservation, your own hypocrisy. Don't get entangled with trying to make yourself look better than you actually are. Continue to keep your eyes on Christ, who is the author of your salvation, who has won the battle for you. Every day, wake up and strap on the truth so that you might wage war against the father of lies. Here's the second point that I'll give you. The breastplate of righteousness guards your heart from sin. The breastplate of righteousness guards your heart from sin. Verse 14, stand therefore, having put on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now remember that salvation has done a lot for you. Salvation has put you in Christ. It's changed your position. And Romans 3.10 tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that you could become what? The righteousness of God. So the breastplate of righteousness, God has given you righteousness by imputing his son's sacrifice into your life. So again, part of the armor is putting on Christ. You've already been imputed the righteousness of Jesus. In heaven, God already sees you as chosen and holy and blameless and righteous because he sees his son whom you are in if you are a believer. But you've been given the righteousness of Christ. But though you've been given the righteousness of Christ, you have to take up the breastplate of righteousness every single day in order to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So this is the believer's practical righteousness. It's not just your imputed righteousness, it's your practical righteousness. It's walking in a manner worthy of your wealth in Christ. Your walk in Christ is protected by the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate was a, a crucial tool for those in the Roman army. Got this sweet chest over here. Let's see what I got in it. Check this out. I got a breastplate right here, okay? This was an important piece of the armor. You Come up here, my man. Give me your hand. Jump up here. You look like an agile fellow. Here, let's put, can we put this on you? Okay, so the breastplate was an important piece of armor, okay? It would go over the head like this. Oh, oh, watch the glasses. 
didn't have glasses, and it would protect the torso and the heart and the lungs, and it was kind of what they wore into battle. It was protecting all of the vitals of, of the soldier as they went in, and it would protect you from getting stabbed with a sword and from getting shot with an arrow or pierced with a knife, and so you probably have some confidence going into a, a battle, a knife fight with a breastplate on, right? Yeah. Okay, stand there a sec. Don't move. Try to look cool, like get down like this or something. All right. Just stand there while I preach. Okay, and then I'll be back over in just a second. But the parallels, the parallels to all this are beautiful. If, if you are a Christian, Satan wants to attack your central nervous system. Satan wants to darken and harden your heart. Satan wants the lungs breathing in and breathing out perversion and immorality and greed and envy and hate. Satan wants to weigh down your shoulders uh, with the yoke of bondage and slavery to sin that he makes you think you'll never get over and you'll never defeat. Satan wants your bowels. And, and in, in, we often say that we ask Jesus into our heart or we talk about our soul kind of being the center of us. In the Old Testament, in the, in the Bible, the bowels were kind of thought of as the central system of our thoughts and our emotions. And you know what Satan wants to do with your bowels? He wants them to be confused with what is pure, what is right, what is holy. And you know what Proverbs says in 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, it says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. How, how do you, the believer, keep your heart with all vigilance? You guard it. You put something over your heart, the breastplate of righteousness. There's not a crack in the armor that Satan can get in there and get you deceived and get you running down the wrong path. He wants you guarded so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. This wards off the enemy. Everyone give him a hand. You can take that off. You want to you wear it the rest of the time? <laughs> so a breastplate is, is, a, is a, a, a very important tool for somebody who is stepping into battle, it's guarding the central nervous system of those who fight. So how can you keep your heart with all vigilance? How can you protect your vitals against Satan's attack? Because Lord knows when we give up our righteousness, that's when we fall into sin, right? When you get tempted and you sin, you're not doing what is right. And that's the opposite of righteous. How can you protect your vitals from Satan's attack? Here it is. Wrap yourself in the righteousness of Jesus every day. Put on the breastplate of Christ's holiness, his perfection, and his right living. Righteousness is what is right, and it speaks of morality. Jesus detests self-righteousness. He doesn't want your righteousness. He doesn't want what you bring to the table. He doesn't want what is right in your eyes. He doesn't want your moral efforts. But the breastplate of righteousness is helping us live out practically what is pleasing to God as an overflow from the righteousness of Christ that has already been given to us. Let me read you what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, 9 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, 9 through 14 Paul starts out talking kind of about his wealth that was given to him in Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul has the righteousness of God, not his own. He's not talking about the righteousness that he brings to the table, but listen to where Paul goes after that. Not that I have already obtained this. So the righteousness of Christ has been given to Paul, but he hasn't fully obtained it because he's living in the already but not yet. Not that I have already obtained it or am already perfect. Be careful. Don't start to think that you're perfect if you're a believer, that you're virtuous, or that you're some kind of saint and you have something that everybody else doesn't have. You're not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is an attitude 
of a warrior who is in Christ and who is running into battle, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the old places I used to go, forgetting the old popularity I used to have, forgetting the old parties that I used to party in. Now I'm running in a new direction. Now I'm going against the flow and I'm straining forward. I'm stecco, I'm standing firm. I'm resolved to stand against the schemes of the enemy and I have truth guarding me every single day. And even when the enemy tempts me, the breastplate of righteousness is keeping me in what is right and what is holy and what is virtuous before God. With the breastplate of righteousness, I can walk worthy of my wealth in Jesus. So just real quickly, five practical ways that you can put on righteousness. Real quick, they're on the screen. Five ways, obey the Bible. I know it sounds elementary, but man, we have gotten off from just looking at what God's word says and applying it to our lives. Everything that you're going through, every hard situation that you're facing, the word of God has all that you need for life and godliness. You just have to dig into it. You just have to find out what it means. You just have to spend your life hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that comes from the word of God. Number two, protect your eyes. Satan wants to get through your eyes, to your mind, to your heart. That's how he can get around the breastplate of righteousness, if you don't protect your eyes. So watch what you are watching. Uh, Look out for evil things. Look out for evil things that the enemy wants to get into your home, that you want to entertain yourselves with. Guard the next generation, because they're getting bombarded with wicked things. Here's another one. Guard your ears. Absolutely, what you're listening to affects the truth that you believe. Absolutely, what you're listening to can break you down. And so there's so many podcasts, so many blogs, so many YouTube clips, so many sermons, so many books, so many movies, so many shows that we can get in our mind. And you know what the word of God says? Garbage in, garbage out. You get garbage in your head, you gotta get it out of your mind. So guard your ears. Number four, stay out of enemy territory. This is straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm a big fan of going places where the gospel is not. Love going into hard territories. Love going into places where the gospel needs to be shared. But there's a difference between that, shining the light of Jesus boldly in a dark place, and there's a difference between you going somewhere where you used to go and just blending in with the culture. That's that's casting your pearls before swine, the Bible talks about. Be careful where you go with the gospel or you will get sucked into the course of this world and you won't be living for Christ. You won't be magnifying Christ. You'll be living for your own glory in your own pleasures and you'll get sucked right back into the life that you once were in. And then number five, set your mind on things that are above. Every day, you wanna put on the breastplate of righteousness, look to heaven. Don't get entangled with civilian pursuits Don't get entangled with the things of this world. Look to Christ. Set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. And this is how holiness will begin to radiate from your life as you live in a righteous way. Now, number three, we're landing the plane. The shoes of peace embolden you to declare the good news in an evil day. The shoes of peace embolden you to declare the good news in an evil day. And verse 15 says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The New American Standard Version says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the soldier's footwear, probably something that you're like, doesn't seem like the most important thing, but it was very important. They were walking long distances. They were climbing jagged rocks. They were trampling over thorns. Blisters, cuts, broken toes, swollen feet would not have made them ready and agile for fighting. And not only did the soldiers' footwear protect their feet, but it gave them traction for standing against and taking ground from the enemy. So the soldier's shoes were lined with pieces of metal and maybe nails that acted as spikes And so they could like firmly plant their feet and they could gain traction on the enemy as they walked. So with feet shotted for battle, by by taking the time to put on their shoes, the soldier had peace of mind that he could take ground with their enemy. Now notice 
the shoes for the believer's feet are called the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is what it says are the believer's shoes, okay? So, um, uh, 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 Raymond, put these on as fast as you can, all right? Put those on as fast as you can. So the gospel of peace is... is uh, shoes that we can put on every day if you dress yourself in the gospel of peace, if you lace up peace of the gospel on your feet, you can step in the peace that God supplies every single day as you walk. Raymond, you got them on? Why not? Come here. Come up here. Let me see them. They're in knots? Dude, you got that on. That's crazy. But your other one's in a knot, so I'm saying... If, if you got to gird up your loins, you're definitely not ready for battle, right? Here, pull that off. Give it to me. And, and here's the thing. A lot of us, thanks for trying so hard. A lot of us, this is what your gospel shoes look like. This is what your gospel of peace looks like. Uh, you go about your day as a Christian. You start living your life. The battle starts coming. The enemy starts raging. And you start getting anxious you would say, man, I don't have any peace in my life. And you start to reach for your gospel shoes and your gospel shoes have been hanging in knots on the shelf for months and you can't get them undone. And you wonder why there's so much turmoil in your life. And it's because you don't have the gospel shoes ready and accessible for the battle every single day. These are better boots for gospel shoes, okay? These ones have been tied up for months. My brother-in-law, these are mine. He calls them my girl shoes with the stretchy sides. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, they are accessible, man. I just slide these bad boys on and I'm ready to kick the devil in the face as I go about my day. And, and listen, here, here's the thing about your gospel shoes. Every, the gospel is not some message that just saved you in your past. It is something that you must preach to yourself every single day, that you are a sinner, that God is holy and created you. You fall short of his glory, but Jesus died on a cross in your place, crushing Satan, crushing the enemy, crushing death, and he's changed your status and you've repented and believed and he's put you in Christ and now nothing can stop you in this life. Nothing that comes against you, no temptation, no anxiety, no anger, no depression, because you are walking every Every step in the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus. Isn't it amazing that we can walk every day knowing that we have peace with God who created all things? We have peace with God who has power over the kingdoms of this world. And, and listen, we, we live in a world and culture that is dying for peace. Bear with me for a second. Harvard Business Review says, in the United States, anxiety is the most common mental illness affecting more than 40 million adults each year. An estimated 284 million people had an anxiety disorder as of 2017, making it the most prevalent mental disorder worldwide. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, stress is a response to a threat in a situation. Anxiety is a reaction to the stress and anxiety is fear of what might happen in the future. Now, I don't want to minimize stressful situations. I don't want to minimize anyone who, who struggles with anxiety because I think all of us to some degree struggle with anxiety. But I do want to challenge us as believers. Your peace feels like an all-time low when you are suffering from anxiety. And do you know what ad addresses your future head on? the gospel of peace, the truth that Jesus died in your place, made you alive, and has already seated you in the heavenly places, the truth that Jesus is high and lifted up and ruling and reigning the events of this life for your good and for his glory, and is there anything that could bring us more confidence in this life than the truth that we have peace with the almighty God of glory through the good news of Jesus? You gotta put on your gospel shoes every day. You gotta preach the gospel to yourself every day. And when you have your gospel shoes on, you won't just be able to walk in peace, but you'll be ready and able and emboldened to open your mouth and declare the hope to which you have been called. You will be emboldened by the peace that only comes from God. You know what? A believer with his belt of truth on, a believer with 
the breastplate of righteousness on, standing firm against the schemes of the devil, a believer with his gospel shoes ready and available every day to slip on and to run into the battle, the devil doesn't want anything to do with you. The devil wants to run from you. The devil will flee from you as you stand firm against him. You know what the only thing that's, that's more threatening to the devil is? Someone who has the other three pieces of armor on every single day as they wake up. Now, I told you that, you know, um, the armor of God's been kind of like my, my greatest prayer over the last year and a half of my life. And, and even, even uh, before I, I come up on a platform to speak the word of God, a lot of times I'm, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit help. And uh, I pray the armor of God often. And over the last year, the armor of God's been kind of uh, the, the thing that has led me into the battle of um, sharing the gospel and, and preaching here at Gospel City even. And, and I've used it with my boys. Uh, right around the time I was stepping into this role, uh, my wife told me, have you heard the, the kids' song? They sing it all the time. And I was like, no, I hadn't heard it. Well, we adopted this song. And every Saturday night, most of the Saturday nights since a year and a half ago, I started having my boys sing this song over me on Saturday nights. And it's helped me step into Sunday morning as we come and open the word of God and share it. And, and it just goes like this. It's a simple prayer, but it goes, With his righteousness upon your chest, salvation for your head. The belt of truth around you now with the shield of faith in hand. And with his peace upon your feet, everywhere you go, his word will be the sword you'll keep your covered head to toe. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you haven't left us on our own, but you've given us a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes that tell us we have peace with the almighty God. So Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who's struggling. I pray for anyone in this room who would say, you know, the last thing I feel like I have right now is peace. Lord, the gospel reminds us that we have peace with God, so who can touch us? We can stand firm against the schemes of the devil if we remind ourselves every day of the truth that God supplies and we have an attitude of truth. We can stand firm against the schemes of the devil if we guard our hearts and our vital center with the breastplate of righteousness. And Lord, if we remind ourselves that Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose from the dead every single day, there's nothing this world can throw at us that doesn't let us know that our future is secure in Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you help us to continue to armor up even as we go into this week, holiday weekend. God, help us to honor you. Help us to have holiness set before us. Keep our eyes, keep our ears. Help us as we see old friends even. Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as the people of God who are taking up the armor of God every single day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen, thanks so much for coming to church today. Thankful for you, you are loved.